Hey there, welcome to the Obio podcast. This is your host, Sofia Sanchez. I am an ambitious teenager doing biotech research and having interesting conversations with people around the world who are literally growing the future using biotech. For this episode, I'll be interviewing Alan, who is the CEO of California Cultured, an indie bio startup that is growing chocolate without plants. Instead, they're using the wonders of cellular agriculture to grow these cocoa cells indefinitely in what they call cell tanks or bioreactors or fermenters. And so in this episode, I was really willing to share with you all um, a little bit about Alan's background because he actually started another company before that had to do more with the, let's say, health side. It's called Joy Well, and they also used fermentation technology, but this time to create proteins that were um, used in sweet beverages and that were a little less like harmful harmful to human health um he well then uh also has a scientific background and has experience with patenting so i asked him about that about you know being the ceo of california culture what it means to build a teen culture to recruit people to have a strategy for the company to scale up so these are all things that i was curious about and that i know are just uh, like very common topics when we are talking about any biotech startup without further ado it's time to grow
Okay, so hey, Alan, thank you very much for coming to the Obaya podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you so much, Sophia. Glad yeah. to be here. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, before being the CEO of California Cultured, I know you started another company, which is Joy of Well Foods. Can you tell me what sparked that interest to start that company? Uh, yeah, there were sort of two, two very important reasons. Um, one was I always uh, enjoyed sweet, sweet foods, uh, 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 sweet beverages, and unfortunately, like like many others, uh, that they they don't uh, the foods don't love us as much as we love them, and uh, and and they unfortunately hurt us from from weight gain to the the potential for diabetes as well as you know the potential for for getting sick from from eating the things that we like, and I, I honestly felt that that sort of uh, a, a a very uh, a very unfortunate thing, and that that human biology we all are basically programmed technically at birth to sort of crave uh the most calorically rich and, and sweet things possible yeah. and it, it's sort of a, a trap that we're stuck in and since it's so available and and uh plentiful uh we could definitely overindulge so easily and and uh even on top of that. Uh, in many of our foods, there's always just so much extra hidden sugar, as well as other other ingredients, just to make it more palatable. And seeing sort of the potential of uh, biotech, food science, and genetic engineering, and understanding sort of a little bit on the current food system and 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 maybe taking a guess on what the food system was, was going to be next sort of pushed me on my journey. So w w one of the reasons I started Joy Well was trying to make a more, uh, trying to see if there's a healthier way to, to make a sweetener. And the second very big reason was I started with a, a very specific fruit and fruit protein that could potentially be used as an alternative uh, two sugar. Uh, this is called the miracle fruit. Uh, it has a very interesting protein inside of it called miraculin that can instantaneously give people who lose the ability to taste foods, not all people, but the vast majority of them, the ability to taste sweet again. And it has the ability to sort of transform sour flavors to sweet flavors. And my grandmother at the time was undergoing uh, chemotherapy. And like many people that were going undergoing chemotherapy, she lost the ability to taste foods and everything tasted like rubber or wood. So the one of the interesting properties of Miracle Berry is it can give, it sort of the protein itself can sort of almost act like a, a, a biological taste bud uh, for a short amount of time. So a chemotherapy patient who has some of this protein on their tongue could actually gain back temporarily some of their ability to taste some interesting foods. So on one hand, I, I saw that this could basically help a lot of uh, patients 
who who are undergoing chemotherapy to enjoy food again and have maybe better efficacy and and come out stronger with more energy at the end of it, as well as maybe on the long term vision to make uh, a healthier uh, to make healthier sweeteners and healthier foods for people like myself and 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 I'm assuming many other on the world uh, around in the world who also share a sweet tooth like myself. Sure, as you say, it's interesting to know how we're evolutionary programmed, right? And but I love the mission and vision of this company, you know. And uh, as I'm seeing in your website, you were already like implementing these sort of technologies like fermentation and uh, so on. So I'm curious to know how was the actual process of going from the research you were doing here to then like commercializing the technology? So um, are, are you referring specifically to Joywell? Yes. Yeah, so that, that sort of was an interesting journey. Um, the, the thing about trying to make specific plant proteins are some of them are really easy to replicate through different types of biotechnology and others are a lot more complicated. The, the, the big reasons are protein size, protein structure, as well as glycosylation and uh, also fold, the folding of the protein as well. The plant cells have, have evolved these interesting pathways to do all that work and, and us as scientists uh, are, are still trying to figure out uh, to to do it in different ways, either through yeast or different organisms, or even through organic chemistry, and we're 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 still, I think, just emerging from the baby stages of technology. I'm, I'm talking about maybe the whole world science of how to make different plant molecules and proteins a little bit better. It's it's as as we all know, science is slow, and progress takes takes thousands of scientists, hundreds of millions of dollars, usually many years of hard work in order to figure things out. So uh, I started the company at a time that uh, making really compli complicated, like oscillated proteins through yeast was still pretty difficult uh, in the beginning of the journey. So I was actually looking at using different plant-based systems since plants are usually uh, better at making plant products that, than any other organism. Uh, so I, I started off with modifying, uh, transiently modifying lettuce, transiently modifying different plant tissues, as well as genetically modifying some, some, some tissues, specifically lettuce, in order to uh, produce the protein. It was sort of a, a mixed result. I, I sort of got it to work a little bit with transient expression, uh, a little bit more successful with with some of the genetic engineering results, uh, where where it was a little bit more easier to to insert the the protein and getting getting it to work with more food grade promoters and more safe promoters and and uh, we managed to get this interesting version of, of a lettuce that, that relatively quickly could produce uh, uh, a, a pretty good amount of our protein. So, but, but we've saw the regulatory pathway, which is, 
was pretty onerous at the time and, and still pretty and still is when you want to sort of make things through plant systems, uh, especially plant proteins uh, for food is still a question. There are some companies right now still trying to figure that out and and uh, uh, and, and trying to, to figure out how to scale up. These are a lot of big questions to figure out and uh, many companies are still trying to do that so um during that time we, we sort of were pushing forward some plant systems as well as started with an yeast expression and we had some 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 success with that so it as as any as any sort of product that you're trying to figure out it's very good to understand like what are the systems that could really scale them up well the regulatory pathways as well as you know, obviously trying to get to a working prototype is incredibly important. Well, that was actually one of my questions. If all of these, um, like, research and development was part of the scaling up process, or if there was something else that you could talk about when these sorts of companies scale up? So the, the thing of scaling up is thinking about how, how you could go from maybe a small bioreactor or small shaking flask on your laboratory bench uh, eventually into hundreds of thousands or millions of liters of, of either yeast or some other microorganism or 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 then again thousands of acres of, of plant of plant tissue to be grown so those are basically the the two directions to go you either go vertical or horizontal when it goes with scale when it goes with scaling so the, the, the more i guess tried and true and most successful ways of scaling usually were with microorganisms that could grow relatively fast that that could be modified that you could really iterate relatively quickly plants take a little bit longer time but then again you also have to think about uh regulatory processes where if you're going sometimes through yeast or e coli they they could be a little bit faster than some plant expression systems or even outdoor plant systems you're going to need like usda and fda and uh, 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 like aphis approval there's many different additional approvals if, if you're going to go on on the outdoor route or even greenhouse route compared to uh, uh, scaling up in in bioreactors and fermentation tanks there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of real uh, comp complexity and and lots of thought and and time that that would go into that so whatever type of thing you want to scale up you have to get either the right consultants or have the right co-founders or patriots or the right resources and network to truly understand how that scale up is going to look as well as like how how long it's going to take and how much and honestly how many millions of dollars uh is it going yeah. to take in, in different directions and and that's 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 not necessarily so clear within the industry for entrepreneurs and some some early scientists um that that takes sort of a lot of homework and sort of knocking on a lot of doors and a lot of cold emails to truly figure out but but honestly today it's 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 a lot easier to maybe hunt down the right people and and pieces of knowledge to figure out the directions to go 
but but in essence sometimes we don't know these things yet we actually just have to try we have to sort of uh, jump into the lab or talk to some scientists who work on these things can you make things through yeast or does it make sense to or is it impossible to make it through yeast and you have to make it through other systems so a, a lot of 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 homework basically has to go into it before you commit into a specific direction talking about all those challenges what have you found both as a founder and now the ceo of california culture to be sort of the most challenging task in this research and development phase um it's 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 definitely getting uh, uh developing the right path to market as well as what what we think to focus on is is probably the most challenging and probably the most important by uh and and that's roughly you know our ceo's job what do we focus on we have very little capital we have very little uh amount of resources and not that much time in order to prove to the world uh you know that we could execute on 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 our big audacious goals so picking the target is probably one of the most difficult things to do uh, because it has to be attainable it has to be uh, reasonable relatively reasonable and it has to have an impact big enough that people would sort of care and 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 that's sort of a challenge because you could go any single direction conceivable but but if you're if you're uh, but if you're putting your resources in the wrong direction uh, yeah it's that's that could be a game over if if you if you're, uh, if it's not thought through you also talk about having the right people and of course that's part of every startup right so what do you yeah, look for uh, in like the scientists you hire you hire are you very specific with like um yeah their their background or is it just enough with like i don't know they did a phd in something related to what you want to do well the thing is that a phd can help but it's not necessarily um, you know a green uh, a green light to, to tackle everything uh, I, I basically see building a company as well as tackling a complex challenge as coming in with probably a good mix of people you definitely would want to have some people who've been through the most relevant experience uh, beforehand. Uh, usually uh, that, that's one of the most important things. If you're trying to do something and, and if you can get someone who's done it before or the most experienced person, that's amazing. And that's usually something that not only investors want to see but other teammates and other people that 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 to know that you're on the right track and if this person already did it once they can hopefully do it again and on the other hand you also want to bring in uh, capable uh, scientists or, or people to help you tackle goals so having a phd isn't the most important thing but having the skill sets and the creativity 
to tackle some of these challenges are. So uh, we basically are seeing multiple challenges every day. And we need to have scientists and collaborators say, oh, let me try to figure out how to do this. Let me go through PubMed. Let me go through Google patent search. Let me go through uh, just reaching out to people through LinkedIn or through papers to see how I could figure out an answer. And, and then trying to come out with, with a protocol or game plan and then pitch it to some senior members to sh- that does it make sense so having some great people who've gone through it before is is usually hard to get but is probably the best thing to do uh and at the other end you know getting people who are really creative and and can really figure out tasks uh you know, on their own is another amazing thing to have. Uh, that's sort of just on the skill sets alone. But one of the other uh, most important things is to make sure that 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 we're nice to each other, that we're respectful for each other. You know, don't 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 be a butt to each other. That's that's sort of uh, you know a really important thing that. You know, you might hear stories of of some startups or companies. You know, they don't sometimes don't treat people well. Sometimes passive aggressiveness is is gaslighting. There's some really, you know, bad behaviors that were sort of incentivized of, of basically stepping on top of the of other people in order to to, to advance in your career or using people uh, uh, to 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 get what you want is sort of really toxic for many different organizations and and that doesn't necessarily allow the best and the brightest ideas to come through it it, it just maybe allows the, the loudest voice or the most politically savvy uh, to come through and and that's an incredibly important part and, and seeing where where people uh tend to silo things or keep a lot of secrets are are also toxic behaviors as as obviously there's there's been um you know all these new documentaries coming out on on some of these companies and and how they grew and and some of the bad behaviors that they've incentivized are 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 lessons that we should all learn as as not only scientists and entrepreneurs of how to honestly do better and we basically also try to ask ourselves how could we grow and how could we make an environment better and happy for people yeah i love that and well you know i'm also curious about the patenting process you mentioned how well scientists are incentivized to you know be curious as well look in PubMed, look up things in google patents can you tell us a little bit more about that process yeah, sure. So um, we basically see patents as a very important thing in order to build uh, technologically uh, advanced and important companies where their products and technologies would be incredibly valuable in the future uh, and and could be very helpful. So patents are, are key of protecting that as well as if, if a person is looking to put in years of their life and and huge amounts of, of their of their 
of their money and hard work as well as other people's money, they need to sort of make sure that their hard work is going to result in something that 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 results in some type of reward for people for working hard and succeeding as well as taking very big risks. And patents and patents are usually the the way that 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 type of work is rewarded. But on the other hand, uh, many people see patents as ways to protect yourself. But in the reality of it, is patents are more of a way of are are sort of also weapons themselves. They also prevent other companies from from uh, trying to copy what you're doing. But then again, a patent is technically worthless if you don't have a lot of money to actually sue other people or enough money or enough support to sue other people who attempt to do the same thing and that's sort of the the, the dirty secret of patents <laughs> people have patents on the most advanced technologies but if they don't have either the money or lawyers or support in order to actually protect that patent they're gonna lose and and that's happened so many times uh as and we i've honestly seen that also right now within like for instance the food tech sector i've i've seen for instance uh right now there's a patent battle going on between impossible food and uh and motif specifically on the Lego hemoglobin and other hemoglobins that they have, and and it's uh, Impossible Foods was the first one to push it, and then and then uh, Motif, which is a subsidiary I think of Ginkgo, uh, uh, tried to make a different version, and now they're fighting to see who's who's going to win. And now even the whole big thing of uh, uh, the whole big CRISPR patent fight between you know uh, oh, California. Uh, Berkeley and 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 Harvard, uh, yeah, and all these, uh, and we we honestly think uh, there's going to be a lot of very big patent fights going to come out in the future, and and it's going to be large sums of money of these companies fighting each other to see oh who could sell what and who can't sell what and whose future business is at stake so it's 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 a it's a complex and and sort of also very nasty process but it's important because if people don't have patents they they they're at risk for 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 being sued and and not sort of executing on on their on their business plan so that that's sort of the two ways of how i see it it's really important but to to really make them uh, uh important and, and useful they need a lot of money and a lot of work behind them that makes a lot of sense you know i'm also curious to know about you mentioned uh moti foods i think it is um that's like a working or they're manufacturing their products through the Ginkgo platform. Um, what do you think about that strategy? Well, uh, that allows Motif to just focus on business, uh, on scaling up, on applications, and it, it allows, I guess, Ginkgo just to do what they do best, which is pump out organisms that could produce uh, 
their target protein or molecule at super high titers and maybe get better at doing that over time. It, it's definitely uh, it's, it's definitely a very interesting strategy. Um, obviously, I've you know reading about some some of the things behind behind it where it looks like the same uh, owners who own ginkgo also tend to own a big part of motif so it seems like they're they're dividing their risk uh, among more companies instead of necessarily putting all the risk in one company it it, it tends to to be uh, pretty interesting and uh, and maybe the market is going to see what the results of that are going to be like over the next couple of years. But uh, there's been a lot of excitement over that type of business model and and only time will tell of how successful it is to, to, to have uh, all the R&D within one company, whereas all the execution is on something else. Um, it, it's it's still something experimental i i see gotcha so you would recommend it only for like those who really really want to focus on like the operations and then like kind of outsource that but i guess the question really is uh had you ever considered that for california cultured well um i think it's not only we're we're thinking about it, but many other companies are thinking about it right now um it it, it it, it tends to be a little bit more uh, in vogue because, uh, as as I said, it sort of reduces the risk for one type of company. Uh, obviously, the R and D risk. Um, there are many ways that that some other companies are, are are also seeing that we're we're still talking about that of everything from purchasing other companies to partnering with other companies to to working with different research groups and different universities. I, I, I think that maybe many uh, venture capitalists are more open to that nowadays because it might reduce the risk uh, of, 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 uh, of an R&D project uh, being successful um, because we've, uh, we've seen sort of some synthetic biology companies, they tried also vertical verticalizing everything and there's been a lot of bumps in the road uh, and so the thought process is by having them into different buckets of different companies tackling different parts of the chain and might be easier in the beginning and maybe over time once the companies get big enough to bring in that type of verticalization so uh, we've we're thinking about something like that. And, and we honestly think this is many, many companies are also looking at similar strategies in order to reduce the risk, but we don't know what the outcome as well as the strategy might be in the long term. but it, it seems to be less risky right now, just from the information and, and experience that I've seen. Helen, you've been in to working in two biotech companies, what advice would you give to early stage biotech founders? Um, number one is um, obviously 
try to try to test your idea as uh, as as widely as possible. Um, you know, there's there's two thoughts usually: keep everything secret and, until you got everything in place, until you patent everything, or just honestly keep everything open, ask questions, and and to me, I, I think the most like secret part you don't have to tell everyone but for the general part in order to get people's advice maybe to to see does it make sense maybe to see who has actually attempted to do this before always ask for people's help always ask questions don't necessarily assume anything everything is sort of uh up, up for questions as well as debate usually sometimes why people didn't pursue some ideas or companies didn't pursue them might have been very important then but they might not be important now uh, you need to build a lot of uh, uh, help and a large support system usually in order to tackle giant problems if you want to build a, a, a new type of food or ingredient or drug or or material you're going to need a lot of people there that come from a lot of different disciplines so you honestly have to network a lot ask a lot of questions be open to criticisms and and be willing to sort of put in the work because it's not an overnight type of success it usually takes weeks to months of years of hard work and 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 uh and a whole bunch of successes and failures in order to get to 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 something that you'll you'll feel proud of and it's it's a, it's usually a long journey um another thing is is usually try uh try to listen to your gut and and allow that to propel you going forward because we're all going to hear a lot of naysayers and a lot of alternative decisions and, and processes. But as long as you work really hard and try to become a master of your domain and your gut is starting to talk to you, telling you which way to go, um, you should honestly listen to it um, because you might be pushed or pulled in different directions. But as long as you're willing to work hard and, and, and become a master of whatever you're willing to, to make or create or build, you should basically listen to yourself a lot or, or someone maybe that you trust a lot. Um, yeah. And, I love that. The intuition, right? Yeah, yeah it, it, it's a lot of internal inspiration, and, but it's a lot of hard work. You have to be very very curious you have to understand the history the politics the culture the reasons why why things happened and why things didn't what what is the world looking like today and what's the world going to look like in the next 10 to 15 years uh you know because by the time that our technology is ready the world's going to be very different so is what we're building today going to be important and desirable uh, in the next five to 10 years and beyond. And that's also an incredibly important question to ask. 
That also takes me to the next question, which is, what are you most excited about both in the biotech industry and for California culture in the next 10 years? Well, we, we see in the biotech industry, there is a lot of uh, investment and resources going on to make a better food tech economy. Uh, everything from, from using new processing technology to, 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 to CO2 capture to make food, to upcycling different waste streams to make different to, to either make growth media or different foods or, 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 or maybe even understanding how more industries could be made more ethical, more healthier, more better for you. I, uh, I know for the last couple of years, there was this big push to go animal free everything. And, uh, and that, that's great. And hopefully the next big push is going to be animal free and healthier for you and with great taste. Yeah. So trying everything together, which, which to me, I think is the dream, uh, you know, to have animal free product that tastes as good, but is healthier for you is we think is the most important thing that we think that could not only, uh, be important for consumers of today. It could be important for community health and even national health as well. Uh, and even supply chains, less pollution uh, and less waste. So th that, that, that's what we're really excited on where, where maybe biotech is going to be in the next couple of years. And, and for California culture, we're, we're, we're sort of on, on that trend. We're, we're thinking, you know, we know the world loves chocolate. How could we make a lot of it uh, in a more sustainable way without using, you know, uh, uh, these de destructive techniques, which is right now they're using a clear cutting to advance uh, cocoa farming. They use lots of fertilizers and pesticides and fungicides to increase yields, which are basically dropping every single year the, because of diseases and weather and, and, and droughts. Uh, and then on top of that, labor is also getting more expensive. And unfortunately, it's uh, many farmers have, have been using child slaves for such a long time and it, the, this problem of using child labor is unfortunately beginning worse and worse and we're we're trying and we're trying here at California culture to understand what the future is going to look like when the world's going to be demanding more chocolate are our, our farmers in Africa just going to use more slaves to cut down more forests and, and spray toxic stuff everywhere? Or could there be better ways of doing it? Yeah, and our vision of what the world of the world would look like is you have farmers, you uh, uh, probably uh, working collectively, making more money, but they would not necessarily be supplying the vast majority of the world's chocolate anymore. Uh, they would probably make less of it, but hopefully be higher quality and using more ethical growing and labor practices as well. And, and, and as the demand for chocolate grows and the demand for healthier, better for you chocolate goes, we could actually provide these ingredients and processes and, and products for, for people who want this, um, you know, on, 
not that many people know, but uh, unfortunately, uh, chocolate has lead and cadmium, heavy metals, mycotoxins, and other issues. And uh, and with our type of technology, we could actually uh, take them all out, all those bad things out of the chocolate supply chain and have it a little bit more healthier for you and as well as more sustainable so you could use it for even more more places that 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 you that you would love to use instead of maybe some uh some of the more environmentally taxing crops and ingredients that are currently being used like let's take out you know the petroleum and even like maybe of the bad oils in there how can we make healthier oils and, and creams that or foods that people could use uh, we're heading towards the end of this episode but i really i am really curious to ask you this question like having this long-term vision of you know what's gonna what's the market gonna look like in the future in manufacturing and um like demand for these products uh you are are you also considering like i guess the declining the jobs of people who may be producing chocolate right now of course slavery could reduce as well but like how are you thinking about that well we're, we see a couple of, of big trends happening within uh, lots of the current cocoa growers uh, many of their kids are are sort, sort of see the trap that many of their parents and family are in basically trapped in generational cycles of poverty where where parents are passing on cocoa farms to their kids and where they have to struggle for their entire lives just to even just to even survive and many kids are being exposed to internet and phones and they're looking to move to the big city so there's there's many of the next generation of, of, of farmers don't want to even farm the quality and, and the amount of work that they actually would have to put in in order to even make the same amounts of money that their parents did is like double to triple as, as we even see here in the western world today that we have to sort of put in three to four times the amount of work just just to get to sometimes where our parents did so that that is this many of those similar things are happening in west africa we also see declining yields of, of chocolate as well as unsuitable weather conditions for instance um right now global uh temperatures about 1.1 degrees above I think like the 10,000 degree average and and we're sort of heading to a, a little bit over two degrees but once the average global climate is going to get to about 2.1 to 2.2 degrees which is now uh according to to different UN estimates close to maybe the end of the 2030s so originally I think they they were look uh, they thought that that's going to happen maybe in the end of the century uh and then a couple of years ago then they said oh maybe 2050 and now it looks like you know the worst case scenarios are on track and weather is going to get a lot more hotter and that means about 90% of all currently suitable cocoa growing land will become unsuitable and when that happens many of these farmers are going to be forced to go to the city and that means lots of these supply chains are are, are going to get 
damaged or fall apart completely. And we think there are, there are so many people involved within the chocolate industry globally, not only the farmers and the workers and the shippers, that, that it's going to affect a lot of people. And we think if there's not another more suitable or, or sustainable way of growing chocolate, it's going to hurt a lot more people. And especially as the demand for chocolate is only going up, it's not going down. So if demand's going up and there's and the supply's going down, it's just going to spell a lot of trouble for the future of these tropical regions. So we think the only way to save them and and to or or to or to at least reduce the incentives to 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 deforest them is is to produce it another way and maybe even work with the farmers to 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 produce more higher quality chocolate that could be sold at better margins and they could live better lives um that that might be the only way to, to honestly uh, uh uh make it sustainable for for lots of people in the future True, not only on the environmental side, but also on the society level. So, well, uh, just to end, what would you... Are you on Twitter, by the way? (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, at CA Culture, we we post uh, occasionally, every once in a while. Hmm. So if you were to tweet something that the whole world read, what would that be? Well, um... It, it, that that's hard, but I, I guess um, be 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 more conscientious of, of where of where your food comes from. You know um, how how could how could our buying choices make people's lives better? How can our our choices today, you know, Im- impact the world? And that that should definitely be a little bit more. Of, on, on people's mind when, when they're buying their food or, or, or thinking about their food choices. Helen, thank you so much for sharing all of this knowledge and insights with us. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you for what you're doing at California Culture. Well, th- thank you so much, Sophia. Anytime. Thank you, as always, for listening to this episode of the Obio podcast. I really hope that you've learned a lot, that you enjoyed it, that it gave you a different perspective on both the bioeconomy and biotech startups, maybe. Let me know at SophiaSH underscore if you have any recommendations, introductions, people you'd like me to interview or talk to. That'd be awesome. And I'll see you in the next one.